Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. This is your host, Jessica, and this is our podcast, Lifting Voices. So today is Thursday, November 4th. I'm not sure what day I'll post this, but um, I just wanted to come on here and um, read with you some of my um, required reading for one of my classes. Um, the reason I'm doing this is because I am like a quarter of the way through my reading and I'm getting sidetracked and I'm allowing myself to be distracted. And so I thought about it and I was like, what did you do last chapter? Oh yeah, you hopped on your podcast and you read to the listeners what you have to read. And I think that is a good strategy for me to stay um, accountable in finishing this reading. Um, I have a lot going on in my personal life, and so I feel like this class in particular came at the perfect time for me because I need to hear these words. Um, the chapter is titled Mindsets, um, you know, and I feel like <clears throat> as humans, we go through different things in life that uh, requires us to have certain mindsets in order to survive, in order to um, get through in the environment that you're in or the situation you're in. Um, you know, and I'm sure some of you can reflect on a time that you got through a hard time and you could remember how you were kind of in a zone. You were kind of checked out, but you got through it. You're not sure how you got through it. Um, that's kind of what chapter I'm in right now. So this material is very useful to me. And so, you know, I know I'm not unique in having struggles or overcoming challenges, so, you know, maybe something I read to you from this material will help you, because I'm sure it'll help me. I've got, you know, circles and stars and highlights on different parts, because this is all valuable information. So, you know, hey, if you can't sleep or you want to learn something, you know, continue to listen on, and I'll just pick up where I stopped um, this section is called Downstream Consequences of the Deliberative and Implemental Mindsets. Okay, that's very, very, that sounds very boring to me, even though I love this, but let's just see what it says. The important point to emphasize in making a distinction between the deliberative versus implemental mindset is the following. The implemental mindset is more conducive to goal striving than is the deliberate deliberative mindset. When people are in an implemental rather than deliberative mindset, they persist longer and perform better. This is so because these two mindsets produce different downstream consequences. To study the downstream consequences of the deliberative versus implemental mindsets, researchers experimentally induced one mindset or the other in participants to induce a deliberative Mindset participants, <clears throat> excuse me, participants first identify a goal or personal striving that they are currently considering but have not yet decided on or committed to. Example, I'm with this one. Participants then make pros and cons list of the potential benefits and costs of each possible goal or striving. They also are asked to estimate the probability that these benefits and costs will actually maternalize, sorry, materialize if each goal is or is not pursued. To induce an implemental mindset, 
Participants first identify a goal or striving that they plan to accomplish during a specific period of time. Example, by the end of the semester, I will have written my term paper, revised it, and submitted it for a grade. Participants make a list of five steps that need to be taken to accomplish that goal. To be, to be specific, participants are asked to write down the specific time and place associated with each of the five goal attainment strategies. After one or the other mindset has been induced, participants' thoughts are monitored in a second phase of the study. In a deliberative mindset, people show a cognitive tuning toward information expressing the pros and cons, benefits and costs, of one goal. Uh, what the hell? Vis-a-vis -vis rival goals? I don't even know what that word is, sorry. Let's we'll skip that part. In an implement, uh, implementation mindset, people show a cognitive oh. People show a cognitive tuning toward information related to goal attainment and a step-by-step -step way of thinking and problem solving. During their implementation mindset, people show a marked drop in thoughts related to the desirability of the chosen goal. And they no longer ponder questions such as should I do it or should I do something else? While deliberative thinking is valuable and productive for goal setting, it is implemental thinking that is relatively more productive for goal striving. Okay, all right, so it wants to talk about the second mindset. The first mindset was deliberative implemental. That's kind of what it just touched on. Um, so mindset number two is promotion prevention. Regulatory focus theory proposes that people strive for their goals by using two separate and independent motivational orientations, i.e. mindsets, promotion and prevention. The first motivation system is an improvement-based regulatory style, while the second motivation, motivational system is security-based regulatory style. These two mindsets were the basis of the chapter's opening vignette, the trip to the mega drugstore. I don't remember that because I didn't read that today. So, and then you guys didn't hear it either. <sighs> a promotion focus involves sensitivity to positive outcomes. The striving is to attain what one does not yet have. One strives to approach desired and ideal end states. A prevention focus involves sensitivity to negative outcomes. The striving is to maintain, not lose what one already has. One strives to maintain a sense of duty, obligation, and responsibility. A graphical representation of these two regulatory mindsets appear here on this page. I'll do my best to explain it. With the promotion mindset summarized in the upper half of the figure and the prevention mindset summarized in the lower half of the figure, in both cases, the antecedents to adopt or develop the particular mindset appear on the left side of the figure while its downstream consequences appear on the right side. So on top here, it's talking about promotion mindset and it has the promotion focus in the middle. And then on the left-hand side, there's three boxes. The first one reads attention to improvement needs. Second, goals are seen as ideals, hopes, aspirations. And third, situations signaling possible gain. On the right-hand side, it says sensitivity is is to positive outcomes 
Number two, motivational orientation is to attain gains. Number three, behavioral strategy is fast, eager locomotion. Number four, emotionality, cheerfulness versus dejection. Um, on the second part, when it's speaking of prevention mindset, the center is uh, prevention focus. On the left-hand side, um, this really doesn't make sense when I'm just like reading this to you. I'm just going to keep reading because I'm realizing that it's not going to make sense if I'm just talking about a picture. Let me just keep going. Let's talk about promotion mindset. The promotion regulatory focus centers on the possibility of advancement. With a promotion focus, the individual is sensitive to positive outcomes, approaches, possibilities of gain, and adopts an eager behavioral strategy of locomotion that might be characterized as, quote, just do it. The concern is with growth, advancement, and accomplishment as the person strives to advance from a neutral state to one of accomplishing a desire, a wish, or an ideal. It means making good things happen. For instance, the person seeks to graduate, develop a new skill, earn extra money, and be supportive of friends. When ideals are realized, the emotional experience is one of being cheerful, including feeling happy and satisfied. But when these sought-after ideals are left unrealized, the emotional experience is one of being dejected, including feeling disappointed, dissatisfied, and sad. People can adopt a promotion focus either chronically, as in a personality disposition, or it can be induced situationally. An individual who is chronically promotion-focused has been socialized to believe that what matters in life is making good things happen. Parents tend to adopt a bolstering self-improvement mode in which the child is asked to accomplish ideals and fulfill aspirations, i.e., quote, my parents told me that they were proud of me when I was trying to be good at something, end quote. Those ideals take the form of hopes and aspirations. In addition to parenting, a person's tendency to adopt a promotion focus can be increased by growing up in a promotion focused culture. An individual who is situationally promotion-focused, is in an environment that signals possible gains and opportunities for advancement. For instance, to situationally induce a promotion focus, researchers ask participants to think about an ideal. Quote, describe how your hopes and aspirations are different now from when you were growing up, end quote. Next, we're going to talk about prevention mindset. The prevention Regulatory focus centers on responsibility and duty. With a prevention focus, the individual is sensitive to negative outcomes, avoids possibilities of loss, and adopts a vigilant behavioral strategy of caution that might be characterized as, quote, do the right thing, end quote. The concern is with safety, security, and responsibility as the person strives to prevent failing to do one's duty, meet one's obligations, and fulfill one's responsibilities. It means being careful to make sure that bad things do not happen. For instance, the person seeks safety and security to not fail, to not lose money, and to stay in touch and close contact with friends. When oughts are maintained, the emotional experience is one of being relaxed and feeling calm, 
But when these odd obligations are lost, the emotional experience is one of being anxious, including feeling agitated, uneasy, afraid, and threatened. People can adopt a prevention focus either chronically within the personality or it can be induced situationally. Just underlining that. An individual who is chronically prevention focused has been socialized to see that what matters in life is preventing bad things from happen, happening. Parents tend to adopt a critical punishing and restricting mode in which the child is urged to attain safety and meet duties, obligations, and oughts. Example, quote, my parents often scolded and criticized me, end quote. Doing what one ought to do means taking action to maintain the status quo, not make mistakes, be responsible, and keep danger at bay. In addition to parenting, a person's tendency to adopt a prevention focus can be increased by growing up in a prevention focus culture. An individual who is situationally prevention focused is in an environment that signals possible losses in terms of one's social obligations and responsibilities. For instance, to situationally induce a prevention focus, researchers ask participants to think about an ought. Quote, describe how your duties and obligations are different now from when you were growing up, end quote. Depending, okay, so next we're going to talk about different definitions of success and failure. Depending on one's regulatory mindset, success and failure mean different things. For a person with a promotion focus, success means the presence of a gain. The person strives to attain a positive outcome, and that positive outcome takes the form of some type of advancement or improved state of, of affairs. Success means that change has occurred and that one has been able to advance a, quote, present state, end quote, closer to a desired, quote, ideal state, end quote. Success has special meaning. Namely, that something good has happened. Failure, on the other hand, means a non-gain. It represents an inability to improve upon one's current state. For a person with a promotion focus, failure does not have a special meaning. It is largely a non-event because the person is still the same as before. Example, one's present self persists. For the promotion-focused individual, failure is not motivating, while success feeds into and motivationally energizes the system, i.e. re-energizes one's eagerness to accomplish. For a person with a prevention focus, success means the absence of a loss. The person strives to maintain a satisfactory state. Success means that no change has occurred and that an ought state has been maintained in a satisfactory way. That is, one started with a sense of duty, responsibility, and obligation, and one has taken the actions necessary to prevent their loss. For a person with a prevention focus, success does not have a special meaning. It is largely a non-event because the person is still the same as before, which means one's ought self persists. Failure, on the other hand, means a loss and that a painful change has occurred. It means that one has not been able to maintain an ought self. Failure has a special meaning, namely that something bad has happened, i.e. has not been prevented. For the prevention-focused individual, success is not motivating while failure feeds into and motiva motivationally energizes the system, i.e. re-energizes one vigilance to stay safe.
So now we're going to talk about different goal striving strategies. Strategies, sorry. It's <sighs> a lot. Okay. Depending on one's regulatory mindset, goal striving is carried out in one of two different ways. With a promotion focus, the gain-based strategy can be characterized as open-mindedness. I'm sorry, open-mindedness. Exploration, locomotion, acting fast, and eagerness. Locomotion means taking action to move from the present state to an ideal state. It corresponds, I don't even know this word, colloquially with the slogan, quote, just do it. With a prevention focus, the safety-based strategy can be characterized as being cautious, staying committed, staying the course, protecting one's commitments, playing it safe, assessing where one stands, and being vigilant. Assessment means critically evaluating whether the status quo, or an ought-to standard, has been maintained. It corresponds colloquially with the slogan, do the right thing. These two different goal-striving strategies raise the question of which strategy is the better or more productive of the two. Is it better to act to accomplish something, or is it better to act responsibly and play it safe? Interestingly, the answer to that question depends on one's regulatory mindset. When the person with a promotion focus pursues a goal such as, quote, earn a high GPA, locomotion, quote, feels right and produces a sense of enjoyment and satisfaction. For example, for a person with a promotion focus, the following strategies feel right. Um, completing schoolwork promptly, attending all classes, spending more time in the library, being prepared for tests, increasing motivation to earn a higher GPA. However, when the person with a prevention focus pursues a goal such as earn a high GPA, vigilance seems, I'm sorry, quote, feels right and produces a sense of enjoyment and satisfaction. For instance, for a person with a prevention focus, the following strategies feel right. Stop procrastinating, avoid missing any classes, spend less time at social gatherings or parties, avoid being unprepared for tests, and do not lose motivations or lose motivation to earn high GPA. Further, when a person with a promotion focus uses vigilant caution, then those behaviors do not feel right and yield little enjoyment just as when a person with a prevention focus uses eager, eager locomotion, then those behaviors do not feel right and yield little enjoyment and satisfaction. Hence, one behavioral strategy is not necessarily better than the other. Rather, people with a promotion focus enjoy, feel more successful, and are more willing to continue using accomplishment-based, eager-infused locomotion actions than they are to use vigilant-based actions while people with a prevention focus enjoy, feel more successful, and are more willing to continue using safety-infused vigilant actions than they are to use accomplishment-based actions. Holy shit, that was a mouthful. Okay. Holy God, I'm going to take a sip of my coffee. Whew. Okay. The next section is called Ideal Self-Guides and Ought Self-Guides. By the way, when I say ought, that's not a word we, in the English language, we hear all the time. It's the word, um, I'll spell it for you. So it's O-U-G-H-T, ought, like something that we ought to do, like we're made to believe that we should or 
or we're a bad person. We should do that thing. You know what I mean? I'm pretty sure you know what I mean. just wanted to clarify that because it's not a word we always hear. Okay. An ideal self-guide is a goal or standard or aspiration of what one would like to become. Pursuing an ideal leads the person to adopt a regulatory style oriented toward accomplishment and to a heightened sensitivity to move forward opportunities for positive outcomes. Eager approach behavior is both a natural and an enjoyable means to attain positive outcomes because the person strives to change, improve, and achieve something new. An ought self-guide is a goal or standard or aspiration specifying what one or others believe you should or must or have to do or be. Pursuing an ought leads the person to adopt a regulatory style oriented toward responsibility and to a heightened sensitivity to losing what one already has. Cautious vigilance is both a natural and an enjoyable means to prevent negative outcomes because the person strives to be true to his or her sense of duty, obligation, and responsibility. <sighs> both ideals and oughts are part of the self-system. Some situations and life circumstances incline the person to attend to the possibilities of the ideal self while other situations and life circumstances incline the person to attend to the responsibilities of the ought self. When inclined toward one's ideals, some strategies and ways of striving work better, but when inclined toward one's oughts, other strategies and ways of striving work better. For instance, consider an experiment in which some participants were asked to focus on the ideal self. Quote, please think about something you ideally would like to do. In other words, please think about a hope or an aspiration you currently have. End quote. Other participants were asked to focus on the ought self. Uh, quote, please think about something you think you ought to do. In other words, please think about a duty or a responsibility you currently have. End quote. Next, participants in both conditions were asked to list either five Eagerness-related action plans, i.e., please list some strategies you could use to make sure everything goes right and helps you realize your hope or aspiration, or five vigilance-related plans, i.e., please list some strategies you could use to avoid anything that could go wrong and stop you from realizing your duty or obligation, end quote. Finally, all participants were asked how enjoyable it would be to perform their listed action plan. The results appear in this figure here you can't see. Among participants oriented toward ideals, hopes, and aspirations, eagerness action plans were rated as highly enjoyable, while vigilant action plans were rated as significantly less enjoyable. Among participants oriented toward oughts, duties, and obligations, the pattern of findings was completely reversed. Vigilant action plans were rated as highly enjoyable. Hold on. Underlining that's probably important. While eagerness action plans were rated as significantly less enjoyable. Getting a star. A follow-up study produced similar results in which people with a promotion focus found it actively more interesting when they pursued it for fun rather as a serious activity, while people with a prevention focus focused uh, found an activity more interesting when they pursue it as a serious activity rather than something done for fun. Interesting.
All right, the next section is called Regulatory Fit Predicts Strength of Motivation and Well-Being. The previous section highlights the importance of regulatory fit, which means that decisions and behaviors feel right when people rely on goal striving that fits their mindset, i.e. promotion versus prevention mindset. This sense that something feels right means that one's goal and strategies are matched. Promotion matches with eager locomotion. Prevention matches with cautious vigilance. Underlining. Regulatory fit also produces increased motivational strength. That is, people with a promotion focus exert more effort, feel more effort, I'm sorry, feel more alert, value the experience more, and actually cope and perform better when they strive with eagerness rather than with vigilance. While people with a prevention focus exert more effort, oh my god, I just read that fucking line, value the experience more and cope and perform better when they strive with vigilance rather than with eagerness. Regulatory fit also contributes positively to psychological well-being because it leads people to feelings of interest, enjoyment, and satisfaction with what they are doing, whereas regulatory misfit interferes with and blocks feelings of interest, enjoyment, and satisfaction with what they are doing. Such a conclusion acts as a springboard to take the discussion back to the two friends in the chapter opening vignette who walked into the mega drugstore with contrasting mindsets. The two friends had same goals, but their contrasting mindsets led them to feel one way of coping was more right than, the, than was another way of coping. One friend valued speed, the other valued accuracy. That does not mean that one way of coping be fast, focus on the big picture, and just do it, is better or worse than the other way, which is be accurate, focus on the details, and do the right thing. Rather, it means that for each person, one way of coping feels right and is associated with greater enjoyment and effort than the other way of coping. Actually, both mindsets are actually necessary for optimal goal striving and that is true within an individual person and within a couple, team, group, or society. Speed and accuracy almost always trump speed without accuracy or accuracy without speed. For instance, the students who make the highest GPAs are those who embrace both a high promotion and a high prevention mindset, and the U.S. Army soldiers who are most likely to complete an advanced training course in the elite Army Rangers unit are those who embrace both a high promotion and a high prevention mindset. In the pursuit of many different life goals, sometimes what is needed is taking action, i.e. I am a doer, but other times what is needed is taking stock, i.e. I am a critical person. Huh, that's gold right there. Uh, people have preferred ways of coping, and these ways reflect their promotion versus prevention mindset inclinations, but it is almost always true that the same goal can be achieved in different ways. A job well done is one that is done quickly and accurately, and such a job requires the employment of both mindsets. Okay, and next we're going to talk about the third mindset, and that's the growth fixed mindset. The growth fixed mindset concerns the question of how people think about their personal qualities such as their intelligence and personal traits. 
Generally speaking, the way people think about their personal qualities can be characterized in one of two ways. Some people see personal qualities as fixed and enduring characteristics. The thinking is you're either smart or dumb, an extrovert or an introvert, and that is that, i.e. the personal quality is fixed and set. Other people, in contrast, see personal qualities as malleable characteristics that can be increased with effort. You may be dumb or introverted, but you can become smarter or more extroverted with experience, training, effort, practice, and strategic thinking, i.e. the personal quality is malleable and can be changed. Uh, the section is fixed mindset. Some people believe that their personal qualities are fixed attributes. They believe that they and others are endowed with fixed set qualities. The thinking is, quote, you either have it or you don't, end quote, in that some people are smart or creative or good in mathematics, while other people are not. People who hold a fixed mindset are sometimes referred to as entity theorists because they believe that there is a physical entity that dwells inside the person, i.e. a good brain, a creative gene, to determine how much of the personality quality a person has. When people adopt a fixed mindset, they have the sense that if they have a lot of the fixed quality, then they are in good shape. For instance, if a person believes that she has a gift for languages, then she will expect to do well in a foreign language class at school. She also believes, however, that if she has little of the fixed personal quality, then she is in bad shape. For instance, she may believe that she lacks athletic genes and therefore expect to do poorly when invited to a, play a game of basketball. Next, we're going to talk about growth mindset. Some people believe that their personal qualities are changeable. They believe that they and others can grow, increase, strengthen, and otherwise develop their malleable qualities. The thinking is, quote, the more you try and the more you learn, the better you get, end quote. In that, all people can become smarter and more creative, at least in proportion to their effort, training, and amount of practice. People who hold a growth mindset are sometimes referred to as, quote, incremental theorists because the thinking is that personal qualities can be developed incrementally over time. I love this mindset, by the way. When people adopt a growth mindset, they have the sense that the more effort they put in, the more they will learn, grow, and develop, and the better or higher will be their personal qualities. People with a growth mindset realize that people may start a developmental task with different amounts of the personal quality, intelligence, or talent, but they believe that the extent to which they invest effort in the process of learning, practicing, and training, then they will eventually end up with greater intelligence or greater talent, and also that gains in these personal qualities will be explained by the hours and years of learning, practicing, and training invested in the developmental effort. To gain greater familiarity with the fixed growth mindset, consider whether you agree or disagree with the following two statements. <clears throat> this is from research. First one is, your intelligence is something about you that you cannot change very much. And the second one is, you can always greatly change how intelligent you are. 
People with a fixed mindset, i.e. entity theorists, will generally agree with the first statement but disagree with the second. People with a growth mindset, i.e. incremental theorists, will generally agree with the second statement but disagree with the first. This next section is called the meaning of effort. For the person with a fixed mindset, the meaning of effort is, quote, the more you try, the dumber you therefore must be, end quote. High effort means low ability. High effort is, in fact, evidence that the performer lacks ability. For the person with a growth mindset, the F, I'm sorry, the meaning of effort is that it is a tool, the means by which people turn on and vitalize the development of their skills and abilities. Given this introduction, consider your own reaction to the following. <coughs> you see a puzzle in a science magazine and it's labeled test your IQ. You work on it for a very long time, get confused, start over and over, and finally make progress, but very slowly, until you solve it. How do you feel? Do you feel sort of dumb because it required so much effort? Or do you feel smart because you worked hard and mastered it? In a motivational analysis, the meaning of effort is a crucially important understanding when the individual faces a difficult task, as in the aforementioned puzzle. When facing a difficult task, what one needs is high effort. But marshalling forth high effort poses a motivational dilemma for the person with a fixed mindset. High effort is needed, but the high effort precisely is precisely what signals low ability, which is precisely the sort of thing an entity theorist wants to most avoid. People with a fixed mindset do not really believe that high effort will be effective, even on difficult tasks. They say things like, if you're not good at a subject, working hard won't make you good at it. Actually, what people with a fixed mindset prefer to do is make high grades while coasting along with low effort because the low effort simply confirms how smart they must be. Thus, on a difficult endeavor, on difficult endeavors, people with a fixed mindset tend to adopt maladaptive motivational patterns by number one, withholding effort, number two, engaging in self-handicapping to protect the self, and number three, never really understanding or appreciating what effort expenditures can do for them in life. A person with a growth mindset, however, does truly understand the utility of effort. Effort is what becomes learning. Effort is the tool to develop personal qualities. Incremental theorists experience no conflict between the effort challenging tasks require and their willingness to roll up their sleeves and engage in effortful, persistent, and challenging work. Negative feedback works much the same way as does a difficult task in terms of its effect on people with fixed versus growth mindsets. When given negative feedback, the person with a fixed mindset tends to attribute poor performance to low ability. With such an interpretation, the typical response to is to withdraw effort, <coughs> is to quit. On the other hand, when given negative feedback, the person with a growth mindset tends to attribute poor performance to not trying hard enough. With such an interpretation, the typical, typical response is to increase effort. Greater effort is appropriate because one needs to take the remedial action necessary to reverse failure and negative feedback. Chloe, yeah. can you please stop? I'm doing a... The bottom line is that difficult tasks, negative feedback, and even effort 
itself mean different things to entity and incremental thinkers, to people with fixed and growth mindsets. A growth mindset is more motivationally adapted than is a fixed mindset. This can be understood not only by difference in the meaning of effort, but also by differences in the meaning of strategies and attributions. When students with a growth mindset reflect on their academic setbacks, they voice compensatory strategies such as, quote, I would work harder in this class from now on. The attribution being made is that the academic setback was caused by low effort or poor strategy, i.e. I didn't study hard, hard enough. Such an optimistic attributional style leads to greater future effort and persistence. When students with a fixed mindset reflect on their academic setbacks, they voice defeatist strategies such as, I won't take the subject ever again. The attribution being made is that the academic setback was caused by low ability, i.e. I'm just not good at the subject. Such a pessimistic attributional style leads to lesser future effort and persistence because the pessimistic attribution simply leaves a person with, with no good path to success in the class. Rather than look for a good path to success, students with a fixed mindset tend to focus their attention on finding ways to protect their image and self-esteem. Or, this is my words, or their ego. <clears throat> we all have egos. The more adaptive motivational beliefs held by those with a growth mindset pay off in terms of performance. One longitudinal study, just twisting up my words, one longitudinal study measured students' fixed growth mindset and then tracked students' academic performance over a two-year period. Students who endorsed a growth mindset showed significantly improved performance two years later, while students who endorsed a fixed mindset showed no such improvement in their performance two years later. Okay, next we're going to talk about origins of fixed growth mindsets. This fixed growth mindsets are learned. This suggests the possibility that a fixed versus growth mindset is a product of one's socialization history. One way that children acquire the fixed versus growth mindset is through praise and criticism they receive from their parents and teachers. Because praise and criticism send children subtle or not so subtle signals about the nature of their personal qualities and abilities. With ability praise, parental and teacher feedback essentially judges the child's personal qualities, i.e. you are smart, you are selfish, and this judgment tends to grow in children a fixed mindset and an entity-oriented meaning system. Alternatively, with effort praise, parental and teacher feedback, essentially comments on the child's underlying coping style. You worked hard, you need a new strategy, and this commentary tends to grow in children a growth mindset and an incremental oriented meaning, uh, meaning system, starring that from my own parenting. In one experimental demonstration of this developmental process, researchers first had young children work on a school-like task. After they completed the task, some children were randomly assigned to receive ability praise, such as, you must be smart at this. Some received effort praise, like, you must have worked really hard, and some received neither ability praise nor effort praise, a control group. 
Researchers then measured all children's attributions for their success and tendencies to endorse a fixed or growth mindset. Children who heard ability praise made more ability attributions and endorsed the fixed mindset, while children who heard effort praise made more effort attributions and endorsed the growth mindset. Wow, so it's basically saying whatever we teach our kids is how they're going to look at life. So we have the ability to... Um, set them up for success rather than failure. That's pretty powerful. Those are just my words. Back to reading. The experiment continued by letter, later giving all children a difficult problem to solve, and the researchers measured children's attributions for failure, intrinsic motivation, and performance. Children who heard ability praise at the beginning of the study made low ability attributions, displayed a large decline in intrinsic motivation, and performed poorly, while children who heard effort praise made low effort attributions, maintained their intrinsic motivation toward the task, and performed better. Ability criticism, i.e. I'm very disappointed in you, and effort slash strategy criticism, i.e. perhaps you can think of another way to do it, produce essentially the same effects as do ability praise and effort praise, because both are socializing the messages about the child's personal qualities or process of coping. Fixed and growth mindsets can also be trained. In an effort to teach a student, a student a growth mindset, a team of researchers gave middle school students an eight-session course in incremental thinking. One session showed neuroscientific evidence that intelligence can be developed as neurons and dendrites form new neural connections. A second session showed how challenging tasks grow brain cells. A third session centered on a group discussion on the topic, learning makes you smarter. Compared to students in a control group that did not receive the training, students who were taught incremental thinking were more likely to endorse a growth mindset and to be rated by their teachers as showing more effort and motivation in class. These students also showed a longitudinal increase in their academic performance that students in a control group did not show. As an illustration, let me ask this question. Will you become a great coder, which is a, a computer programmer or scientist who can transform everyday media signals into computer code? A person with a growth mindset in this domain will say, hmm, I'm not very good at coding today, but I love to play Minecraft, take classes, read books. Eventually, yes, I'll one day become a great coder. A person with a fixed mindset in this domain will say one of the following, ha, huh, Good luck with that. Of course not. I'm just not that type. I'm not some computer genius or something. Or, quote, yes, coding just comes easily to me. I was born to code. <laughs> to continue the example, consider the contrasting background information presented in this table that you can't see, but it's on my page, that could be cited to support either a growth mindset or a fixed mindset in explaining the high talent level of Albert Einstein, Tiger Woods, and the Rubik's Cube champion, or the winner on American Idol. <clears throat> In a study with college students, half of the students were provided with a training experience to show that intelligence is malleable and can grow with learning and experience, while another half of the students were placed into a control group that did not receive the same information. In one session, students learned about how brain, how the brain can make connections and how it changes and develops in response to challenging activities, which was similar to the earlier study with the middle school students. 
In the second session, students wrote a letter to a struggling student about how intelligence grows over time with hard work. After learning this information, the students in the experimental group expressed more enjoyment of their academic work and displayed higher GPAs than did students in the control group. So just kind of going through this little figure it was talking about. Um, if we're talking about somebody like Albert Einstein um, and um, speaking on growth mindset, we could say he struggled to learn French, he had a deep interest, passion, work, work ethic that led to great understanding. A fixed mindset would say that Albert Einstein was born with exceptional intelligence, he just had an incredible one-of-a-kind brain. For somebody like Tiger Woods, a growth mindset, we would say he worked harder, practiced longer, and studied the game more than anybody else. A fixed mindset would say he was born with the perfect body for golf, just had an incredible one-of-a-kind will to win. Speaking of somebody like the Rubik's Cube champion, a growth mindset would say, hey, they practiced, 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 developed the best strategies. A fixed mindset would say some kind of freak, innate, special abilities gift. And finally, the American Idol singing champion, a growth mindset would say, they're an average singer who benefited from excellent mentoring, training, and resources. A fixed mindset would look at it and say they have a gifted voice born with a silver tongue. So now we're going to talk about different fixed growth mindsets and how they lead to different achievement goals. Fixed growth mindsets are important to achieve strivings because they guide the type of goals people pursue. In achievement situations, people with a fixed mindset entity theorists generally adopt performance goals. People who adopt performance goals are concerned with looking smart and with not looking dumb. That is, they are concerned with performing well, especially while others are watching. The goal is therefore to use performance as the means to prove that one has much of a desirable characteristic, i.e. intelligence. In contrast, people with a growth mindset, incremental theorists, generally adopt mastery goals in achievement situations. People who adopt mastery goals are concerned with mastering something new or different and with learning or understanding something thoroughly. That is, they are concerned with learning and improving as much as they can. The goal is therefore to use task engagements to improve, to get smarter by learning something new or important. Both types of goals, performance and mastery, are common in the culture and both encourage an achievement. But typically, social settings like the workplace, sports field, and classroom pit these two goals against one another and ask, force workers, athletes, and students to pick one goal over the other. People are often asked to choose between courses of actions that allow them to look smart and competent, but the sacrifice of learning something new and learn something new, useful or important, but at the sacrifice of something smart or competent. For instance, when college students select elective courses, they sometimes choose a course in which they can be assured of doing well, looking smart, avoiding errors and impressing others, or they sometimes choose a course they hope will teach them something new, provide opportunities to learn, and offer an arena to grow their skills. When given such a choice, about half of the population will, on average, select a per performance goal, while the other half will select a mastery goal. When people with fixed and growth mindsets face achievement situations, they prefer different goals. 
This is important because the type of achievement goal one pursues predicts that person's subsequent motivation, emotion, and performance. A series of studies with elementary school, middle school, and college students assess students' fixed versus growth mindsets and then ask students to choose between tasks that were either number one, fun and easy, easy enough so mistakes would not occur, or number two, hard, new, and different, confusion and, mis and mistakes could occur, but the student would probably learn something useful. The more students endorsed a fixed mindset, the more they chose the performance opportunity, number one, aforementioned. The more students endorsed a growth mindset, the more they chose the learning opportunity, number two, aforementioned. To test the idea that it is the fixed versus growth mindset that causes people to choose one type of achievement goal over another, researchers situationally manipulated participants' fixed versus growth mindset by asking them to read an informative booklet that provided rather convincing and true evidence to support either an entity or an incremental theory of intelligence. The booklet offered passages about the intelligence of notable individuals, including Albert Einstein, Helen Keller, and the child Rubik's Cube champion as either a fixed and an inborn trait or as a malleable and an acquired talent. Participants were randomly assigned to read either the entity touting or the incremental touting booklet. All participants were then given a choice between a performance approach goal, a task that's hard enough to show that you are smart, a performance avoidance goal, a task that's easy enough so that you won't get many wrong, or a mastery goal when the task is hard, new, and different so that you can learn from it. As shown in this table here that you can't see, students who read the passage supporting an entity view of intelligence were significantly more likely to pursue a performance goal, 81.8% rather than a mastery goal, which was 18.2%. Whereas students who read the passage supporting an incremental view were significantly more likely to pursue the mastery goal, 60.9% rather than the performance goal, 39.1%. These results communicate two conclusions. First, fixed and growth mindsets are malleable and can be changed as per the booklets. Second, fixed and growth mindsets can cause people to pursue either performance or mastery goals as per the findings reported here in this table. Growth mindsets lead to mastery goals, whereas fixed mindsets lead to performance goals. In addition, these findings point to the need to understand what achievement goals are and why they are important. everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. This is your host, Jessica, and this is our podcast, Lifting Voices. So today is Thursday, November 4th. I'm not sure what day I'll post this, but um, I just wanted to come on here and um, read with you some of my um, required reading for one of my classes. Um, the reason I'm doing this is because I am like a quarter of the way through my reading and I'm getting sidetracked and I'm allowing myself to be distracted. And so I thought about it. 
and I was like, what did you do last chapter? Oh yeah, you hopped on your podcast and you read to the listeners what you have to read. And I think that is a good strategy for me to stay um, accountable in finishing this reading. Um, I have a lot going on in my personal life and so I feel like this class in particular came at the perfect time for me because I need to hear these words. Um, The chapter is titled Mindsets, Um, you know, and I feel like as humans, we go through different things in life that uh, requires us to have certain mindsets in order to survive, in order to um, get through in the environment that you're in or the situation you're in. You know, and I'm sure some of you can reflect on a time that you got through a hard time and you could remember how you were kind of in a zone. You were kind of checked out, but you got through it. You're not sure how you got through it. Um, That's kind of what chapter I'm in right now. So this material is very useful to me. And so, you know, I know I'm not unique in having struggles or overcoming challenges. So... You know, maybe something I read to you from this material will help you because I'm sure it'll help me. I've got, you know, circles and stars and highlights on different parts because this is all valuable information. So, you know, hey, if you can't sleep or you want to learn something, you know, continue to listen on and I'll just pick up where I stopped. Um, This section is called Downstream Consequences of the deliberative and implemental mindsets. Okay, that's very, very, that sounds very boring to me, even though I love this, but let's just see what it says. The important point to emphasize in making a distinction between the deliberative versus implemental mindset is the following. The implemental mindset is more conducive to goal striving than is the deliberative mindset. When people are in an implemental rather than deliberative mindset they persist longer and perform better this is so because these two mindsets produce different downstream consequences to study the downstream consequences of the deliberative versus implemental mindsets researchers experimentally induced one mindset or the other in participants to induce a deliberative mindset participants <clears throat> excuse me participants first identify a goal or personal striving that they are currently considering but have not yet decided on or committed to example i'm with this one participants then make pros and cons list of the potential benefits and costs of each possible goal or striving they also are asked to estimate the probability that these benefits and costs will actually maternalize, sorry, materialize if each goal is or is not pursued. To induce an implemental mindset, participants first identify a goal or striving that they plan to accomplish during a specific period of time. Example, by the end of the semester, I will have written my term paper, revised it, and submitted it for a grade. Participants make a list of five steps that need to be taken to accomplish that goal. To be, to be specific, participants are asked to write down the specific time and place associated with each of the five goal attainment strategies. After one or the other mindset has been induced, participants' thoughts are monitored in a second phase of the study. In a deliberative mindset, people show a 
cognitive tuning toward information expressing the pros and cons, benefits and costs of one goal. Uh, what the hell? Visa via v rival goals. I don't even know what that word is. Sorry, we'll just skip that part. In an implant uh, implementation mindset, people show a cognitive. T- oh. People show a cognitive tuning toward information related to goal attainment and a step-by-step way of thinking and problem solving. During their implementation mindset, people show a marked drop in thoughts related to the desirability of the chosen goal, and they no longer ponder questions such as, should I do it or should I do something else? While deliberative thinking is valuable and productive for goal setting, it is implemental thinking that is relatively more productive for goal striving. Okay, all right, so it wants to talk about the second mindset. The first mindset was deliberative implemental. That's kind of what it just touched on. Um, So mindset number two is promotion prevention. Regulatory focus theory proposes that people strive for their goals by using two separate and independent motivational orientations, i.e. mindsets, promotion and prevention. The first motivation system is an improvement-based regulatory style, while the second motivational system is security-based regulatory style. These two mindsets were the basis of the chapter's opening vignette, the trip to the mega drugstore. I don't remember that because I didn't read that today. So, and then you guys didn't hear it either. (sighs) A promotion focus involves sensitivity to positive outcomes. The striving is to attain what one does not yet have. One strives to approach desired and ideal end states. A prevention focus involves sensitivity to negative outcomes. The striving is to maintain, not lose what one already has. One strives to maintain a sense of duty, obligation, and responsibility. A graphical representation of these two regulatory mindsets appear here on this page. I'll do my best to explain it. With the promotion mindset summarized in the upper half of the figure and the prevention mindset summarized in the lower half of the figure, in both cases, the antecedents to adopt or develop the particular mindset appear on the left side of the figure while its downstream consequences appear on the right side. So, on top here, it's talking about promotion mindset, and it has the promotion focus in the middle. And then on the left-hand side, there's three boxes. The first one reads, attention to improvement needs. Second, goals are seen as ideals, hopes, aspirations. And third, situations signaling possible gain. On the right-hand side, it says... Sensitivity is is to positive outcomes. Number two, motivational orientation is to attain gains. Number three, behavioral strategy is fast, eager, locomotion. Number four, emotionality, cheerfulness versus dejection. Um, On the second part, when it's speaking of prevention mindset, the center is uh, prevention focus. On the left-hand side... Um, this really doesn't make sense when I'm just like reading this too. I'm just going to keep reading because I'm realizing that it's not going to make sense if I'm just talking about a picture. Let me just keep going. Let's talk about promotion mindset. 
next section is called the meaning of effort. For the person with a fixed mindset, the meaning of effort is, quote, the more you try, the dumber you therefore must be, end quote. High effort means low ability. High effort is, in fact, evidence that the performer lacks ability. For the person with a growth mindset, the F, I'm sorry, the meaning of effort is that it is a tool, the means by which people turn on and vitalize the development of their skills and abilities. Given this introduction, consider your own reaction to the following. <coughs> You see a puzzle in a science magazine and it's labeled, test your IQ. You work on it for a very long time, get confused, start over and over, and finally make progress, but very slowly until you solve it. How do you feel? Do you feel sort of dumb because it required so much effort? Or do you feel smart because you worked hard and mastered it? In a motivational analysis, the meaning of effort is a crucially important understanding when the individual faces a difficult task, as in the aforementioned puzzle. When facing a difficult task, what one needs is high effort. But marshalling forth high effort poses a motivational dilemma for the person with a fixed mindset. High effort is needed, but the high effort precisely is precisely what signals low ability, which is precisely the sort of thing an entity theorist wants to most avoid. People with a fixed mindset do not really believe that high effort will be effective, even on difficult tasks. They say things like, if you're not good at a subject, working hard won't make you good at it. Actually, what people with a fixed mindset prefer to do is make high grades while coasting along with low effort because the low effort simply confirms how smart they must be. Thus, on a difficult endeavor, on difficult endeavors, people with a fixed mindset tend to adopt maladaptive motivational patterns by number one, withholding effort, number two, engaging in self-handicapping to protect the self, and number three, never really understanding or appreciating what effort expenditures can do for them in life. A person with a growth mindset, however, does truly understand the utility of effort. Effort is what becomes learning. Effort is the tool to develop personal qualities. Incremental theorists experience no conflict between the effort challenging tasks require and their willingness to roll up their sleeves and engage in effortful, persistent, and challenging work. Negative feedback works much the same way as does a difficult task in terms of its effect on people with fixed versus growth mindsets. When given negative feedback, the person with a fixed mindset tends to attribute poor performance to low ability. With such an interpretation, the typical response to is to withdraw effort, <coughs> is to quit. On the other hand, when given negative feedback, the person with a growth mindset tends to attribute poor performance to not trying hard enough. With such an interpretation, the typical, was, typical response is to increase effort. Greater effort is appropriate because one needs to take the remedial action necessary to reverse failure and negative feedback. Chloe, yeah. can you please stop? I'm doing a... Yeah, the bottom line is that difficult tasks, negative feedback, and even effort itself mean different things to entity and incremental thinkers to people with fixed and growth mindsets. A growth mindset is more motivationally adapted than is a fixed mindset. This can be understood not only by 
difference in the meaning of effort, but also by differences in the meaning of strategies and attributions. When students with a growth mindset reflect on their academic setbacks, they voice compensatory strategies, such as, quote, I would work harder in this class from now on. The attribution being made is that the academic setback was caused by low effort or poor strategy, i.e. I didn't study hard hard enough. Such an optimistic attributional style leads to greater future effort and persistence. When students with a fixed mindset reflect on their academic setbacks, they voice defeatist strategies such as, I won't take the subject ever again. The attribution being made is that the academic setback was caused by low ability, i.e. I'm just not good at the subject. Such a pessimistic attributional style leads to lesser future effort and persistence because the pessimistic attribution simply leaves a person with with no good path to success in the class. Rather than look for a good path to success, students with a fixed mindset tend to focus their attention on finding ways to protect their image and self-esteem. Or, this is my words, or their ego. We all have egos. The more adaptive motivational beliefs held by those with a growth mindset pay off in terms of performance. One longitudinal study just twisting up my words. One longitudinal study measured students' fixed growth mindset and then tracked students' academic performance over a two-year period. Students who endorsed a growth mindset showed significantly improved performance two years later, while students who endorsed a fixed mindset showed no such improvement in their performance two years later. Okay, next we're going to talk about origins of fixed growth mindsets. This Fixed growth mindsets are learned. This suggests the possibility that a fixed versus growth mindset is a product of one's socialization history. One way that children acquire the fixed versus growth mindset is through praise and criticism they receive from their parents and teachers. Because praise and criticism send children subtle or not so subtle signals about the nature of their personal qualities and abilities. With ability praise, parental and teacher feedback essentially judges the child's personal qualities, i.e. you are smart, you are selfish, and this judgment tends to grow in children a fixed mindset and an entity-oriented meaning system. Alternatively, with effort praise, parental and teacher feedback essentially comments on the child's underlying coping style. You worked hard, you need a new strategy, and this commentary tends to grow in children a growth mindset and an incremental oriented meaning meaning system, starring that from my own parenting. In one experimental demonstration of this developmental process, researchers first had young children work on a school-like task. After they completed the task, some children were randomly assigned to receive ability praise, such as, you must be smart at this. Some received effort praise, like, you must have worked really hard, and some received neither ability praise nor effort praise, a control group. Researchers then measured all children's attributions for their success and tendencies to endorse a fixed or growth mindset. Children who heard ability praise made more ability attributions and endorsed the fixed mindset, while children who heard effort praise made more effort attributions and endorsed 
the growth mindset. Wow. So it's basically saying whatever we teach our kids is how they're going to look at life. So we have the ability to um, set them up for success rather than failure. That's pretty powerful. Those are just my words. Back to reading. The experiment continued by later giving all children a difficult problem to solve, and the researchers measured children's attributions for failure, intrinsic motivation, and performance. Children who heard ability praise at the beginning of the study made low ability attributions, displayed a large decline in intrinsic motivation, and performed poorly, while children who heard effort Praise made low effort attributions, maintained their intrinsic motivation toward the task, and performed better. Ability criticism, i.e., I'm very disappointed in you, and effort slash strategy criticism, i.e., perhaps you can think of another way to do it, produce essentially the same effects as do ability praise and effort praise, because both are socializing the messages about the child's personal qualities or process of coping. Fixed and growth mindsets can also be trained. In an effort to teach a student a student a growth mindset, a team of researchers gave middle school students an eight-session course in incremental thinking. One session showed neuroscientific evidence that intelligence can be developed as neurons and dendrites form new neural connections. A second session showed how challenging tasks grow brain cells. The third session centered on a group discussion on the topic, learning makes you smarter. Compared to students in a control group that did not receive the training, students who were taught incremental thinking were more likely to endorse a growth mindset and to be rated by their teachers as showing more effort and motivation in class. These students also showed a longitudinal increase in their academic performance that students in a control group did not show. As an illustration, let me ask this question. Will you become a great coder, which is a, a computer programmer or scientist who can transform everyday media signals into computer code? A person with a growth mindset in this domain will say, hmm, I'm not very good at coding today, but I love to play Minecraft, take classes, read books. Eventually, yes, I'll one day become a great coder. A person with a fixed mindset in this domain will say one of the following, ha, huh, good luck with that. Of course not. I'm just not that type. I'm not some computer genius or something. Or, quote, yes, coding just comes easily to me. I was born to code. <laughs> to continue the example, consider the contrasting background information presented in this table that you can't see, but it's on my page, that could be cited to support either a growth mindset or a fixed mindset in explaining the high talent level of Albert Einstein, Tiger Woods, and the Rubik's Cube champion, or the winner on American Idol. <clears throat> In a study with college students, half of the students were provided with a training experience to show that intelligence is malleable and can grow with learning and experience, while another half of the students were placed into a control group that did not receive the same information. In one session, students learned about how brain how the brain can make connections and how it changes and develops in response to challenging activities, which was similar to the earlier study with the middle school students. In the second session, students wrote a letter to a struggling student about how intelligence grows over time with hard work. After learning this information, the students in the experimental group expressed more enjoyment of their academic work and displayed higher GPAs than did students in the control group. So just kind of going through this little figure it was talking about, um, 
if we're talking about somebody like Albert Einstein um, and um, speaking on growth mindset, we could say he struggled to learn French. He had a deep interest, passion, work, work ethic that led to great understanding. A fixed mindset would say that Albert Einstein was born with exceptional intelligence. He just had an incredible one-of-a-kind brain. For somebody like Tiger Woods, a growth mindset, we would say he worked harder, practiced longer, and studied the game more than anybody else. A fixed mindset would say he was born with the perfect body for golf, just had an incredible one-of-a-kind will to win. Speaking of somebody like the Rubik's Cube champion, a growth mindset would say, hey, they practiced, 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 developed the best strategies. A fixed mindset would say, some kind of freak, innate, special abilities gift. And finally, the American Idol singing champion, a growth mindset would say, they're an average singer who benefited from excellent mentoring, training, and resources. A fixed mindset would look at it and say, they have a gifted voice born with a silver tongue. So now we're going to talk about different fixed growth mindsets and how they lead to different achievement goals. Fixed growth mindsets are important to achieve strivings because they guide the type of goals people pursue. In achievement situations, people with a fixed mindset, entity theorists, generally adopt performance goals. People who adopt performance goals are concerned with looking smart and with not looking dumb. That is, they are concerned with performing well, especially while others are watching. The goal is therefore to use performance as the means to prove that one has much of a desirable characteristic, i.e. intelligence. In contrast, people with a growth mindset, incremental theorists, generally adopt mastery goals in achievement situations. People who adopt mastery goals are concerned with mastering something new or different and with learning or understanding something thoroughly. That is, they are concerned with learning and improving as much as they can. The goal is therefore to use task engagements to improve, to get smarter by learning something new or important. Both types of goals, performance and mastery, are common in the culture and both encourage an achievement. But typically, social settings like the workplace, sports field, and classroom pit these two goals against one another and ask, force workers, athletes, and students to pick one goal over the other. People are often asked to choose between courses of actions that allow them to look smart and competent, but the sacrifice of learning something new and learn something new, useful, or important, but at the sacrifice of something smart or competent. For instance, when college students select elective courses, they sometimes choose a course in which they can be assured of doing well, looking smart, avoiding errors, and impressing others, or they sometimes choose a course they hope will teach them something new, provide opportunities to learn, and offer an arena to grow their skills. When given such a choice, about half of the population will, on average, select a performance goal, while the other half will select a mastery goal. When people with fixed and growth mindsets face achievement situations, they prefer different goals. This is important because the type of achievement goal one pursues predicts that person's subsequent motivation, emotion, and performance. A series of studies with elementary school, middle school, and college students 
assess students' fixed versus growth mindsets, and then ask students to choose between tasks that were either number one, fun and easy, easy enough so mistakes would not occur, or number two, hard, new, and different, confusion and, mis and mistakes could occur, but the student would probably learn something useful. The more students endorsed a fixed mindset, the more they chose the performance opportunity, number one, aforementioned. The more students endorsed a growth mindset, the more they chose the learning opportunity, number two, aforementioned. To test the idea that it is the fixed versus growth mindset that causes people to choose one type of achievement goal over another, researchers situationally manipulated participants' fixed versus growth mindset by asking them to read an informative booklet that provided rather convincing and true evidence to support either an entity or an incremental theory of intelligence. The booklet offered passages about the intelligence of notable individuals, including Albert Einstein, Helen Keller, and the child Rubik's Cube champion as either a fixed and an inborn trait or as a malleable and an acquired talent. Participants were randomly assigned to read either the entity touting or the incremental touting booklet. All participants were then given a choice between a performance approach goal, a task that's hard enough to show that you are smart, a performance avoidance goal, a task that's easy enough so that you won't get many wrong, or a mastery goal when the task is hard, new, and different so that you can learn from it. As shown in this table here that you can't see, student, students who read the passage supporting an entity view of intelligence were significantly more likely to pursue a performance goal, 81.8% rather than a mastery goal, which was 18.2%. Whereas students who read the passage supporting an incremental view were significantly more likely to pursue the mastery goal, 60.9% rather than the performance goal, 39.1%. These results communicate two conclusions. First, fixed and growth mindsets are malleable and can be changed as per the booklets. Second, fixed and growth mindsets can cause people to pursue either performance or mastery goals as per the findings reported here in this table. Growth mindsets lead to mastery goals, whereas fixed mindsets lead to performance goals. In addition, these findings point to the need to understand what achievement goals are and why they are important. Depending, okay, so next we're gonna talk about different definitions of success and failure. Depending on one's regulatory mindset, success and failure mean different things. For a person with a promotion focus, success means the presence of a gain. The person strives to attain a positive outcome and that positive outcome takes the form of some type of advancement or improved state of, of affairs. Success means that change has occurred and that one has been able to advance a, quote, present state, end quote, closer to a desired, quote, ideal state, end quote. Success has special meaning, namely that something good has happened. Failure, on the other hand, means a non-gain. It represents an inability to improve upon one's current state. For a person with a promotion focus, failure does not have a special meaning. It is largely a non-event because the person is still the same as before. Example, one's present self persists. 
For the promotion-focused individual, failure is not motivating, while success feeds into and motivationally energizes the system, i.e. re-energizes one's eagerness to accomplish. For a person with a prevention focus, success means the absence of a loss. The person strives to maintain a satisfactory state. Success means that no change has occurred and that an ought state has been maintained in a satisfactory way. That is, one started with a sense of duty, responsibility, and obligation, and one has taken the actions necessary to prevent their loss. For a person with a prevention focus, success does not have a special meaning. It is largely a non-event because the person is still the same as before, which means one's ought self persists. Failure, on the other hand, means a loss and that a painful change has occurred. It means that one has not been able to maintain an ought self. Failure has a special meaning, namely that something bad has happened, i.e. has not been prevented. For the prevention-focused individual, success is not motivating while failure feeds into and motivationally energizes the system, i.e. re-energizes one vigilance to stay safe. So now we're gonna talk about different goal striving Strategies, strategies, sorry. It's <sighs> a lot. Okay. Depending on one's regulatory mindset, goal striving is carried out in one of two different ways. With a promotion focus, the gain-based strategy can be characterized as open-mindedness, I'm sorry, open-mindedness, exploration, locomotion, acting fast, and eagerness. Locomotion means taking action to move from the present state to an ideal state. It corresponds, I don't even know this word, colloquially with the slogan, quote, just do it. With a prevention focus, the safety-based strategy can be characterized as being cautious, staying committed, staying the course, protecting one's commitments, playing it safe, assessing where one stands, and being vigilant. Assessment means critically evaluating whether the status quo, or an ought-to standard, has been maintained. It corresponds colloquially with the slogan, do the right thing. These two different goal-striving strategies raise the question of which strategy is the better or more productive of the two. Is it better to act to accomplish something, or is it better to act responsibly and play it safe? Interestingly, the answer to that question depends on one's regulatory mindset. When the person with a promotion focus pursues a goal such as, quote, earn a high GPA, locomotion, quote, feels right and produces a sense of enjoyment and satisfaction. For example, for a person with a promotion focus, the following strategies feel right. Um, completing schoolwork promptly, attending all classes, spending more time in the library, being prepared for tests, increasing motivation to earn a higher GPA. However, when the person with a prevention focus pursues a goal such as earn a high GPA, vigilance seems, I'm sorry, quote, feels right and produces a sense of enjoyment and satisfaction. For instance, for a person with a prevention focus, the following strategies feel right. Stop procrastinating, avoid missing any classes, spend less time at social gatherings or parties, avoid being unprepared for tests, and do not lose motivations or lose motivation to earn high GPA. 
Further, when a person with a promotion focus uses vigilant caution, then those behaviors do not feel right and yield little enjoyment. Just as when a person with a prevention focus uses eager, eager locomotion, then those behaviors do not feel right and yield little enjoyment and satisfaction. Hence, one behavioral strategy is not necessarily better than the other. Rather, people with a promotion focus enjoy, feel more successful, and are more willing to continue using accomplishment-based, eager-infused locomotion actions than they are to use vigilant-based actions, while people with a prevention focus enjoy, feel more successful, and are more willing to continue using safety-infused, vigilant actions than they are to use accomplishment-based actions. Holy shit, that was a mouthful. Okay. Holy God, I'm going to take a sip of my coffee. Ooh. Okay. The next section is called ideal self-guides and ought self-guides. By the way, when I say ought, that's not a word we, in the English language, we hear all the time. It's the word, um, I'll spell it for you. So it's O-U-G-H-T, ought, like something that we ought to do, like we're made to believe that we should or, or we're a bad person. We should do that thing. You know what I mean? I'm pretty sure you know what I mean. I just wanted to clarify that because it's not a word we always hear. Okay. An ideal self-guide is a goal or standard or aspiration of what one would like to become. Pursuing an ideal leads the person to adopt a regulatory style oriented toward accomplishment and to a heightened sensitivity to move forward opportunities for positive outcomes. Eager approach behavior is both a natural and an enjoyable means to attain positive outcomes because the person strives to change, improve, and achieve something new. An ought self-guide is a goal or standard or aspiration specifying what one or others believe you should or must or have to do or be. Pursuing an ought leads the person to adopt a regulatory style oriented toward responsibility and to a heightened sensitivity to losing what one already has. Cautious vigilance is both a natural and an enjoyable means to prevent negative outcomes because the person strives to be true to his or her sense of duty, obligation, and responsibility. (sighs) Both ideals and oughts are part of the self-system. Some situations and life circumstances incline the person to attend to the possibilities of the ideal self while other situations and life circumstances incline the person to attend to the responsibilities of the ought self. When inclined toward one's ideals, some strategies and ways of striving work better, but when inclined toward one's oughts, other strategies and ways of striving work better. For instance, consider an experiment in which some participants were asked to focus on the ideal self. Quote, please think about something you ideally would like to do. In other words, please think about a hope or an aspiration you currently have. End quote. Other participants were asked to focus on the ought self. Uh, Quote, please think about something you think you ought to do. In other words, please think about a duty or a responsibility you currently have. End quote. Next, participants in both conditions were asked to list either five eagerness-related action plans, i.e. please list some strategies you could use 
to make sure everything goes right and helps you realize your hope or aspiration, or five vigilance-related plans, i.e. please list some strategies you could use to avoid anything that could go wrong and stop you from realizing your duty or obligation, end quote. Finally, all participants were asked how enjoyable it would be to perform their listed action plan. The results appear in this figure here you can't see. Among participants oriented toward ideals, hopes, and aspirations, eagerness action plans were rated as highly enjoyable, while vigilant action plans were rated as significantly less enjoyable. Among participants oriented toward oughts, duties, and obligations, the pattern of findings was completely reversed. Vigilant action plans were rated as highly enjoyable. Hold on. Underlining that's probably important. While eagerness action plans were rated as significantly less enjoyable. Star. A follow-up study produced similar results in which people with a promotion focus found it actively more interesting when they pursued it for fun rather as a serious activity while people with a prevention focus uh, found an activity more interesting when they pursue it as a serious activity rather than something done for fun interesting all right the next section is called regulatory fit predicts strength of motivation and well-being the previous section highlights the importance of regulatory fit which means that decisions and behaviors feel right when people rely on goal striving that fits their mindset, i.e. promotion versus prevention mindset. This sense that something feels right means that one's goal and strategies are matched. Promotion matches with eager locomotion. Prevention matches with cautious vigilance. Underlining. Regulatory fit also produces increased motivational strength That is, people with a promotion focus exert more effort, feel more effort, I'm sorry, feel more alert, value the experience more, and actually cope and perform better when they strive with eagerness rather than with vigilance. While people with a prevention focus exert more effort, oh my god, I just read that fucking line, value the experience more and cope and perform better when they strive with vigilance rather than with eagerness. Regulatory fit also contributes positively to psychological well-being because it leads people to feelings of interest, enjoyment, and satisfaction with what they are doing, whereas regulatory misfit interferes with and blocks feelings of interest, enjoyment, and satisfaction with what they are doing. Such a conclusion acts as a springboard to take the discussion back to the two friends in the chapter opening vignette who walked into the mega drugstore with contrasting mindsets. The two friends had same goals, but their contrasting mindsets led them to feel one way of coping was more right than than was another way of coping. One friend valued speed, the other valued accuracy. That does not mean that one way of coping be fast, focus on the big picture, and just do it, is better or worse than the other way, which is be accurate, focus on the details, and do the right thing. Rather, it means that for each person, one way of coping feels right and is associated with greater enjoyment and effort than the other way of coping. Actually, both mindsets are actually necessary for optimal goal striving 
and that is true within an individual person and within a couple, team, group, or society. Speed and accuracy almost always trump speed without accuracy or accuracy without speed. For instance, the students who make the highest GPAs are those who embrace both a high promotion and a high prevention mindset, and the U.S. Army soldiers who are most likely to complete an advanced training course in the elite Army Rangers unit are those who embrace both a high promotion and a high prevention mindset. In the pursuit of many different life goals, sometimes what is needed is taking action, i.e. I am a doer, but other times what is needed is taking stock, i.e. I am a critical person. Huh, that's gold right there. Uh, People have preferred ways of coping and these ways reflect their promotion versus prevention mindset inclinations but it is almost always true that the same goal can be achieved in different ways. A job well done is one that is done quickly and accurately, and such a job requires the employment of both mindsets. Okay, and next we're going to talk about the third mindset, and that's the growth fixed mindset. The growth fixed mindset concerns the question of how people think about their personal qualities such as their intelligence and personal traits. Generally speaking, the way people think about their personal qualities can be characterized in one of two ways. Some people see personal qualities as fixed and enduring characteristics. The thinking is you're either smart or dumb, an extrovert or an introvert, and that is that, i.e. the personal quality is fixed and set. Other people, in contrast, see personal qualities as malleable characteristics that can be increased with effort. You may be dumb or introverted, but you can become smarter or more extroverted with experience, training, effort, practice, and strategic thinking, i.e. the personal quality is malleable and can be changed. Uh, The section is fixed mindset. Some people believe that their personal qualities are fixed attributes. They believe that they and others are endowed with fixed set qualities. The thinking is, quote, you either have it or you don't, end quote. In that some people are smart or creative or good in mathematics, while other people are not. People who hold a fixed mindset are sometimes referred to as entity theorists, because they believe that there is a physical entity that dwells inside the person, i.e. a good brain, a creative gene, to determine how much of the personality quality a person has. When people adopt a fixed mindset, they have the sense that if they have a lot of the fixed quality, then they are in good shape. For instance, if a person believes that she has a gift for languages, then she will expect to do well in a foreign language class at school. She also believes, however, that if she has little of the fixed personal quality, then she is in bad shape. For instance, she may believe that she lacks athletic genes and therefore expect to do poorly when invited to play a game of basketball. Next, we're going to talk about growth mindset. Some people believe that their personal qualities are changeable. They believe that they and others can grow, increase, strengthen, and otherwise develop their malleable qualities. 
The thinking is, quote, the more you try and the more you learn, the better you get, end quote. In that, all people can become smarter and more creative, at least in proportion to their effort, training, and amount of practice. People who hold a growth mindset are sometimes referred to as, quote, incremental theorists because the thinking is that personal qualities can be developed incrementally over time. I love this mindset, by the way. When people adopt a growth mindset, they have the sense that the more effort they put in, the more they will learn, grow, and develop, and the better or higher will be their personal qualities. People with a growth mindset realize that people may start a developmental task with different amounts of the personal quality, intelligence, or talent, but they believe that the extent to which they invest effort in the process of learning, practicing, and training, then they will eventually end up with greater intelligence or greater talent, and also that gains in these personal qualities will be explained by the hours and years of learning, practicing, and training invested in the developmental effort. To gain greater familiarity with the fixed growth mindset, consider whether you agree or disagree with the following two statements. This is from research. First one is, your intelligence is something about you that you cannot change very much. And the second one is, you can always greatly change how intelligent you are. People with a fixed mindset, i.e. entity theorist, will generally agree with the first statement but disagree with the second. People with a growth mindset, i.e. incremental theorist, will generally agree with the second statement but disagree with the first. Okay, I'm back. I had to take a break, get some water. Switch over laundry, do some vacuuming. Um, So here we go. This next part is called achievement goals. Most theories of achievement motivation treat achievement behavior as a choice. Approach the standard of excellence or avoid it. The core question asks whether the person will approach success or avoid failure, and if so, with what intensity, latency, and persistence. Achievement goal researchers, however, are more interested in why a person shows achievement behavior rather than whether achievement behavior occurs. This is because we, so often in daily life, do not so much seek out standards of excellence as we have them forced upon us. That is, we are asked and are often required to approach a standard of excellence put before us as happens at school with a test, at work, a sales quota, in sports, an opponent, and so on. In these sorts of settings, achievement behavior is taken for granted because it is required, and the question becomes not whether people pursue achievement, but instead why people adopt one type of achievement goal rather than another. This is an important distinction to make because it helps differentiate the concept of goals from that of achievement goals. Goals, i.e. my goal is to win the tournament, represent the desired outcome, which is the desired end state the person strives to attain. Depending on how difficult, how specific, and how self-congruous that goal is, the person will show some level of achievement behavior, i.e. effort, 
Achievement goals, um, for example, my goal is to develop greater skill, are concerned with why the person is trying to achieve something. That is, why the person trying to win the tournament, is she trying to develop her competence, learn more and improve her skills, mastery of goal, or is she trying to improve her competence and outperform others, which is a performance goal. As summarized in this table here that you can't see, the two main achievement goals are mastery and performance. The two goals differ from one another in terms of the person's understanding as to what constitutes competence. With mastery goals, the person facing the standard of excellence seeks to develop greater competence, make progress, improve the self, and <clears throat> overcome challenges through effort. Achieving a mastery goal means making progress according to a self-set standard. With performance goals, the person facing the standard of excellence seeks to demonstrate or prove competence, display high ability, outperform others, and succeed with little apparent effort. Achieving a performance goal means doing better than others. The distinction between mastery and performance goals is important because the adoption of mastery goals in achievement context example in school, at work, or in sports, is associated with positive and productive ways of thinking, feeling, behaving, whereas the adoption of performance goals in achievement context is associated with relatively negative and unproductive ways of thinking, feeling, and behaving. The benefits of adopting a mastery rather than a performance goal are illustrated in this figure here. When people adopt mastery goals, compared to when they adopt performance goals, they tend to, number one, prefer challenging tasks that they can learn from rather than easy tasks on which they can demonstrate high ability. Number two, use conceptually based learned strategies such as relating information to existing knowledge rather than superficial learning strategies such as memorizing. Um... <clears throat> The intrinsic, wait. Number three is be intrinsically rather than extrinsically motivated. And number four, ask for help and information from others that will allow them to continue working on their own. These adaptive strategies allow these mastery goals to work harder, increase effort in the face of difficulty rather than turn passive or quit, persist longer, and perform better. So going back to that thing that we were talking about, uh, talking about distinguishing between mastery and performance goals. So um, examples of adoption of a mastery goal would be develop one's competence, make progress, improve the self, and overcome difficulties with effort and persistence. Adoption of a performance goal, on the other hand, examples would be prove one's competence, display high ability, outpour outperform others and succeed with little apparent effort. All right, so back to the reading. Educational psychologists find the concept of achievement goals to be helpful in understanding students' classroom-based achievement motivation. Part of the reasons achievement goals appeal to educators is that teachers exert a relatively strong influence over their students' achievement goals. What classroom teachers do to promote either mastery goals or performance goals during instruction can be seen in this picture here that you can't see. Hence, to promote mastery 
rather than performance goals, teachers and coaches, parents, managers, for an overview of achievement goals in sports, can define success as improvement, value, effort, communicate that satisfaction comes from hard work, focus on how students learn, view errors as a natural and welcomed part of the learning process, explain the utility of effort when trying to learn something new, and assess or grade students on their extent of improvement and progress. When students intentionally create a learning climate, students are more likely to adopt mastery over performance goals. Um, This section is titled Integrating Classical and Contemporary Approaches to Achievement Motivation. The classic, I'm sorry, the classical and contemporary achievement goals approaches to achievement motivation can be combined and integrated into single comprehensive model. It is, I'm sorry, in the integrated model, two different types of achievement performance goals exist performance approach, and performance avoidance. The classical achievement motivation constructs, achievement motivation, fear of failure, competence, beliefs, serve as general personality-like antecedent conditions that influence the specific type of goals the person adopts in a given achievement setting. For example, as shown in this figure here, people high in the dispositional need for achievement tend to adopt performance approach goals while high in the dispositional fear fear of failure tend to adopt performance avoidance goals, and people with task-specific high competency expectancies tend to adopt mastery goals. This figure here in front of me shows the results from an actual study that tracked participant achievement strivings, achievement goals, course grades, and intrinsic motivation toward a college course. The need for achievement served as an antecedent for adopting mastery and performance approach goals. The fear of failure served as an antecedent for adopting performance approach and performance avoidance goals, i.e. performance goals in general, and competency uh, expectancies served as an antecedent for adopting mastery and performance approach goals and for rejecting performance avoidance goals. Notice the negative sign. Oh, in this picture. Furthermore, once these types of achievement goals were adopted, mastery goals increased intrinsic. <coughs> excuse me. Mastery goals increased intrinsic motivation. Performance approach goals increased performance, and performance avoidance goals decreased performance. And that's what basically this picture is showing. To communicate a better understanding of what performance approach and performance avoidance goals are. Sample items from the Achievement Goal Questionnaire revised are as follows. Performance approach goal is, my goal is to perform better than the other students. A performance avoidance goal is, my goal is to avoid performing poorly compared to others. And then finally, the mastery goal is, my aim is to completely master the material presented in this class. Integrating the classical and contemporary approaches to achievement motivation overcomes the shortcomings of each individual approach. The problem with classical approach is that general personality dispositions do a poor job predicting achievement behavior in specific settings. 
In other words, general personality factors are not necessarily the regulators of achievement behavior in specific life domains such as school, sports, and work. A person might show strong achievement strivings at work, yet only the fear of failure in social situations. The problem with the achievement goals approach is that a person is potentially left wondering where these different types of achievement goals come from in the first place. In other words, if you know a basketball player has a performance approach goal, i.e. to have the highest scoring average on the team, the question remains as to why he or she adopted that particular achievement goal rather than another. Together, the two theories can predict achievement behavior in specific situations using achievement goals and can explain from where these achievement goals arise using personality dispositions. This next section is called avoidance, motivation, and ill-being. Most of the discussion on the topic of achievement motivation focus on its approach side. But the fear of failure is important as well as it functions as a counterforce to achievement strivings by interfering <laughs> tongue tied by interfering with people's performance, persistence, and emotionality. The fear of failure is a functional counterforce because it prompts people to adopt performance avoidance goals such as trying to avoid making a mistake, trying to avoid performing poorly, or trying not to embarrass oneself. The pursuit of performance avoidance goals is associated with negative emotions. These avoidance-oriented goals lead people to underperform, I'm underlining this, quit quickly and lose interest in what they are doing. Such a relationship, uh, which is fear of failure um, to performance avoidance goals to maladjusted coping style and achievement settings, has important implications for personal adjustment and mental health. The more people feel fear failure, the more likely they are to adopt performance avoidance goals. Sorry, I'm starring it. And the more avoidance goals a person harbors, the poorer his subsequent well-being tends to be on measures of self-esteem, personal control, vitality, life satisfaction, and psychological ill-being. Um, the primary reason why well-being suffers with performance avoidance goals is that in trying so hard to avoid poor perform perform in trying so hard to avoid poor performances, one regulates day-to-day -day behavior in ways that produce dissatisfaction, negative affect, and little enjoyment or fulfillment. Always trying to avoid embarrassing oneself, even when successfully accomplished, takes its toll on well-being. A follow-up investigation showed that additional disposition, dispositional characteristics predispose people to adopt performance avoidance goals, including neuroticism and poor life skills, i.e. poor social skills, poor time management, etc. People high in the fear of failure, high in neuroticism, and low in life skill competence tend to adopt performance avoidance goals, i.e. avoid being a bore at parties, avoid being lonely, avoid smoking or drinking. Trying to avoid doing something turns out to be a hard thing to do relative to trying to do something. Example, be friendly at parties. 
When people pursue avoidance goals, they generally perceive that they make little progress in the effort. And it is this perception of a lack of progress that leads to dissatisfaction, negative affectivity, diminished interest, and impaired psychological well-being. Okay, now let's talk about cognitive dissonance. Most people see themselves as competent, moral, and reasonable. Most people harbor such a favorable, <clears throat> favorable view of themselves that a positive self-view can be understood as a near-universal mindset. This mindset is different from the first three discussed in this chapter, which were deliberative implemental, promotion prevention, and growth fixed, in that it is a singular, not a dual mindset. That is, almost everyone walks around with the mindset of, I am competent, moral, and a reasonable person. While practically everyone walks around with this favorable mindset, it is still the case that people all too often engage in behavior that leaves them feeling stupid, immoral, and unreasonable. For instance, people smoke cigarettes, toss litter, tell white lies, neglect to recycle, drive their cars recklessly, skip classes, act rudely towards strangers, and engage in other hypocritical conduct. When beliefs about who the self is and what the self does are inconsistent, i.e. believing one thing and actually behaving in the opposite way, people experience a psychologically uncomfortable state referred to as cognitive dissonance. With cognitive consistency, two beliefs are constant when one follows from the other. A mindset that I am a moral person is consistent with the behavior of telling the truth. With cognitive dissonance, two different I'm sorry, two beliefs are dissonant when one is opposite to the other, which is a mindset that I am a moral person is dissonant with the behavior of lying. Just how psychologically uncomfortable cognitive dissonance is depends on its magnitude. When intense and uncomfortable enough, dissonance takes on motivational properties and the person begins to seek ways to eliminate or at least reduce the dissonance. Imagine the following scenario of a woman whose sense of self includes pro-environmental beliefs. She believes in clean water, clean air, clean land, energy conservation, and nature preservation. She is a member of the Sierra Club. She believes that polluted air, polluted land, energy consumption, and overdevelopment are immoral and unreasonable. Her pro-environmental beliefs are all consonant with one another, i.e. believing in clear water is consistent with believing in nature preservation. But suppose that she reads an article in the newspaper that says exhaust fumes from airlines are rapidly and irreversibly depleting the ozone layer. Suppose further that this environmentalist has a job and a lifestyle that require her to fly infrequently, so... She loves the environment, but she needs to fly. She believes in one thing about herself, but she believes in a way that contradicts that self-view. This is an era of hypocrisy, and it's the experience of hypocrisy between self-action that cause dissonance. The experience of dissonance is psychologically aversive. People seek to reduce it, and they do so in one of four ways. Number one, remove the dissonant belief. Number two, reduce reduce the importance of the dissonant belief number three add a new consonant belief and number four increase the importance of the consonant belief our environmentalists for instance might number one quit flying and start driving an electric vehicle or she may come to believe that volcano ash 
not airplane exhaust, is responsible for the hole in the ozone layer, thereby removing the dissonant belief. Number two, trivialize her immoral or unreasonable act of flying by justifying that her flying to work will have no impact on the global condition, especially when considering how much worse pollution is at factories and refineries, thereby reducing the importance of the dissonant belief. Number three, read articles that reassure her that science is hard at work and will soon solve the pollution problem, or she might think of how truly enjoyable and useful it is to fly, thereby adding a new consonant belief or two. Or number four, think to herself that airplane exhaust proves that the government needs emission control device laws for all airplanes, thereby increasing the importance of the consonant belief. How resistant to change these beliefs beliefs are depends on number one how close to reality they are i.e will science really find a solution number two how important or central they are to one's self-view and number three how much pain and cost must be endured i.e how painful will it be to quit flying therefore reality importance and personal costs work to support one's current beliefs while dissonance puts pressure on hypocritical ways of thinking and behaving. It is a psychological competition, reality and self-interest on one hand versus dissonance on another with motivational implications. Okay, this next little part is called dissonance arousing situations. 